This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joy Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Some of my happiest memories involve reading. I love being curled up by the window with a good book. I remember sunlit afternoons when I would lose myself for hours at a time reading fiction. But as a child, I had been encouraged to minimize my disability. So even though I read voraciously, I never thought anything was missing from any of the books I so loved. Several years later, of course, I woke up to the absence of disability and disabled characters in fiction. I think as I developed critical thinking, I wanted to see myself reflected in the books I loved. Of course, just representation on its own isn't enough. I realize that it matters how disabled characters are positioned and what purpose they serve in literature. Today, we discuss disability and fiction. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Joita Gupta. Got a really exciting show lined up for you today. I'm very eager to welcome Robert Kingett, who is a totally blind author, blogger, and accessibility advocate. He writes both fiction and nonfiction, and as you'll hear in a few moments, he tends to wear a number of different hats. Robert is the editor of a recently released own voice anthology that is called Artificial Divide. And in Artificial Divide, we hear fictional accounts from people who are blind or partially sighted. But enough from me. Robert, welcome to The Pulse. It's really good to have you on the show with us. Thank you for having me. Robert, anyone who loves to write tends to love to read. Tell me a little bit about some of the books that had an impact on you. Sure. So, so, so there's actually been quite a bit of books that had a huge impact on me as a kid and as an a, a, a adult. I, 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 ironically enough, none of these had any disabled characters as a kid. So the books mm. I read were... Some were aimed at children, like the series of of unfortunate events series by Lemony Snicket, and some were definitely not for children. Which books like Running with Scissors by Augustine. Burroughs, don't you dare read this, Mrs. Dumfrey by Margaret Peterson Haddix, and a lot of books by Judy Bloom. So there's a wide array of books that touched me as a kid. And in reading all those books, you were clearly struck by the absence of disability. Was it this realization that there were no characters with disability or very few characters with disabilities that led you to 
try and compile this anthology that we're talking about today, Artificial Divide? Yes, that's one of the reasons. As an adult, I read quite a bit of memoirs by disabled people that were publishing uh, personal essays and and poetry and uh, 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 other types of nonfiction, uh, but I just did not see any disabled characters in fiction uh, literature. The only characters I saw in fiction that had a disability were the villains in in Disney movies and mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to create an anthology that would that would showcase disability as as morally gray positive or um, or the anti-hero to show that we're um, we're not just the villains Uh, and a large motive for creating this anthology was creating a space where people could see work by blind and visually impaired authors. I was so curious about the name, Artificial Divide. Why did you name it the way that you did? Because I sometimes I get too big for my britches, and I think I'm <laughs> cleverer than I actually am. So the... <laughs> The title came from a, um, so there's lots of society people that see the blind and the visually impaired as not human. Uh, Mm -hmm. They see our existence as something completely out out of this world. Uh, and, uh, And they think that we can't, um, have emotions that we can't hurt or feel pain or feel joy like they can. Mm-hmm. So when I set out to create this anthology, I wanted to capture a title that would kind of give a hint as to what the anthology was about, as well as to um, to give a hint at what the anthology is also trying to say from a mm-hmm. wider societal uh, context. So the title, it's, I had a notion that it meant that e- 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 even though we may have a disability, we hurt and we laugh and love just like you do. So we're not divided after all. So now you see I'm not exactly clever. 
<laughs> oh, no, I, w- I would disagree with that. Uh, you know, the book is really interesting because one of the things you mentioned in your foreword, before you even get into talking about the fiction, are some, just in the foreword, you mentioned some of the barriers for blind authors when it comes to getting their work published. Can you tell us a bit more about what you've noticed as an established writer in trying to get your work accepted for publication? Yes, sure. So society has a narrative about uh, disabled people, and this includes blind and visually impaired people. They, um, this kind of goes back to to how society views us as not normal. They also view us as as not capable of telling more than one kind of story. So that story that society wants us to tell so so we can make them feel good about their lives is, is usually the inspiration porn kind of story, the, um, the, the story of overcoming your disability of beating the odds and uh, doing everything that you possibly can to mold yourself into the existing sided society and publishing hasn't grasped yet that hey there's a lot of blind people out here that doesn't like those kind of stories and doesn't want to tell those kind of stories. Publishing has this really one-sided view of of blind and visually impaired authors and, by extension, disabled authors in general. They just want us to publish what they think we should publish based on their preconceived notions. And when we deviate from that, that leaves them like, well, um, let's shut the door on you because mm-hmm. we think that that the general public can't handle your truth. And so that creates tons and tons of barriers, uh, ones that I aim to destroy, if not, if not diminish. Robert, the book is really intriguing. And we talked about inspiration porn. In fact, one of the stories in the book is the about the inspiration porn star. Tell us a little bit about some of the stories we would encounter if we were to pick up the book. Yes, sure. So some of the stories, um, they are a wide range of genres. So you have contemporary fiction, you have fantasy, you have science fiction, you also have horror as well. There's a 
wide array of 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 story genres and writers as well. One of the things that I was wondering about, just the quality of the writing is superb, if I can say so myself. I picked up the book and I read it in one sitting. Uh, I couldn't put it down. And it made me think that has to be a really tough job for the editor because how do you work with writers to hone their craft? And related to that, let's say you get a lot of submissions, you can't include everybody. How do you turn someone down? Somehow, I don't get the sense, Robert, you're the kind of person who would send someone a form letter. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. As a matter of fact, that's, that was one of my goals when creating this. I set out from the beginning to uh, to never send out a form letter um, for rejection. Um, if you're accepted, then you get a form letter. <laughs> but um, rejection, I try and and give constructive criticism to to everybody I, uh, I, I, I rejected. And like I made it really clear that I loved your story, except the word count was way too high, except if we cut half of this, then the story loses its appeal. So I'd rather have you not diminish your own work just to be in, included in the anthology for the sake of a word count. Choosing with stories is a lot harder than a lot of people think. Um, mm. You have to, not in your own head, you kind of have to be in the writer's head when reviewing, you have to take into account your own your uh, own biases and likes and dislikes and you also have to take stock as to how well the story flows and things like that so it's a very involved process and i just would like to say here that um that even though an editor may reject your work, it's not because you're a bad writer. There could actually be one little paragraph that ruins the whole story, and mm -hmm. um, and and so it's or, or you could write a grammatically sounds story but the editor just doesn't like your main character or or things like that so, so it's a very subjective process do you think you'll ever put out a second volume yes definitely oh I definitely I know that I will do more and in the future um, so there 
maybe an artificial divide too, or there mm. may actually be a whole new anthology, maybe with uh, disabled superheroes. And of course, you do a lot of your own writing. We've talked about you as an editor. Give me a sense of some of the writing that you've done and what sort of reception it's gotten. Yes. So I have two or three wings of writing, if you will. <laughs> so kind of like a very strange looking uh, uh, tricycle. Um, uh, um, but I've got my uh, journalism, which has veered more into personal essays um, as I move away from straight uh, uh, news reporting. Mm -hmm. uh, then I have my fiction work, which has disabled characters going on quests and things like that, um, putting blind characters into the spot and light and letting blindness culture shine through the page. And then you have my uh, blogging, which sets, to, sets out to educate the publishing industry and other disabled writers as well on uh, how to make your work the best it could possibly be without compromising your your disability identity or in terms of the publishing industry, how publishers and literary agents can uh, change their workflow to meet the accessibility needs of their authors. I was going to follow up with a question originally about writing or public, uh, publishing, but you, you, you used a term in your last response that now has me intrigued. And you said, you talked about blindness culture. Do blind people have a shared culture? I mean, I've heard about deaf culture, but I've always struggled with the concept of blind culture. What's your take? Right. So, so blindness culture is not celebrated here, at, nor is it um, really examined. Hmm. But I actually think that we do have a culture. It's just hidden. So... I, I'm trying to bring that culture out into uh, into my fiction work, and this is ironically the most controversial uh, topic in the blindness community. You mm -hmm. have a lot of people that, um, especially here in the U.S., where they don't really want to identify as a person that is blind or visually impaired. They want to try to be as sighted as humanly possible. So in, in, uh, in making those kinds of choices, they eschew a blindness 
culture, like our jokes and vocabulary and things like that. Do you know any good blind jokes? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, um, not uh, not off the top of my head. No. <laughs> no, I, I if someone asks me a joke, I tend to blank too. Robert, where can other people pick up a copy of your book if they wanted to read? And it's an audiobook, so they might also want to listen. Yes. Um, so I so you can buy it in in a lot of places. The easiest way is to go to my website and you'll see the book details page there which has a lot of um, a, a lot of stores you can get it at your local independent bookstore even if you're in Canada uh, you can get it uh, as an audio book from Audible or uh, or Libro FM, which supports independent bookstores, you can get it from the publisher. So my website is blindjournalist.wordpress.com. Robert, thank you so much. The time has truly flown by. Thank you for having me. Robert Kingett is the editor of a new own voice anthology, Artificial Divide, that presents stories from the point of view of people who are visually impaired. He joined us today from Chicago. And if you wanted to pick up a copy of that book, you can go to Robert's website, which is blindjournalist.wordpress.com. If you missed any of my conversation with Robert, you can always have a listen on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. I would also like to remind you that we have a blog where I occasionally contribute, which is ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. Our technical producer is Nasreen Abdul-Majid and Jacob Shaiminsky. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. Thanks a lot for listening and stay safe, everybody. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.